0: Financial residency podcasts are brought to you this week by weatherbyhealthcare.com. Just as the right advice helps you thrive financially, the right support team allows you to excel professionally. Weatherby Healthcare's locums experts will match you with the best jobs, prepare you for success, and provide 24 seven support. The bottom line is that working locums with Weatherby helps you earn more money and take better control of your career. If that sounds like music to your ears, Head over to weatherbyhealthcare.com/ slash payday to get started. What's up, David? Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I know you pretty well, but for the listeners, can you give us kind of a brief background on you?
1: Yeah, sure. Educationally, and I think it's important to kind of put that out. So I appreciate the opportunity. I am not a financial expert by any means, but I am a family scientist. And a lot of people, when I tell them that, the brows rise and the question marks begin to appear above the head, so to speak. And so for those that aren't familiar with what a family scientist is, I it's kind of a mix between psychology and sociology. And it really focuses on families and the family system and how family systems, specifically ones that are really close, that we're really close and tied into how they operate. And so looking at it through a systems perspective is oftentimes what I do and look at how, what benefits families in different ways that we can help proactively build healthy families. So I work at the University of Kentucky and I'm in the Family and Consumer Sciences Extension department, which again, for those of you that may not be familiar with extension, a quick history lesson for you. In 1862, the Morrill Act was put into, I guess, law at that point. And it's a land grant college act that U.S. Congress required land-granted universities to provide some sort of evidence-based practices around agriculture and engineering. And these practices were to be taught to the state constituents regardless of their ability to make it to campus or not. And so that became the what we know as the extension arm or the extended services of the university. And so my title here at UK in Family and Consumer Sciences Extension is Senior Specialist for Parenting and Child Development. And what I get to do is share uh, best practices as they relate to parenting and child development throughout the
0: state. Awesome. Yeah, so... I kind of think of David as the parenting expert. And so what we're going to be talking about today is parenting and money. So I'll tell you kind of a quick experience from my story. Uh, Growing up, my parents really didn't talk about money at all. It was just kind of a taboo subject. I think that's how it is in a lot of households. Has that been your experience, David, in working with parents?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You, You know, it's funny. Parenting is what I have learned is a very, very vulnerable topic, when you talk with with parents, because it's very personal how we relate to our children and the ways we want our children to relate to us. And I think that's very much the same when it comes to finances, that we have very personal experiences with finances and we're vulnerable, right? It has some sort of vulnerability when we begin to discuss how much we make or the way we choose to spend our money. So yeah, I would agree that. And I certainly would, would echo that in my home growing up. Yeah, money was not a subject that we, we talked about. Certainly, I never knew how much money my parents made. We, yeah. It was just a topic that was that was not up for conversation.
0: Do you think that was kind of our generation? We're both around the same age. Do you think it was kind of our generation? Or do you think that type of stuff is still pretty common nowadays?
1: You know, again, I would say... I, from my experience, what I experienced, yeah, I think it could possibly be that a generational type response. But I do think, even what I see in even young couples, again, just a real touchy or vulnerable topic for sure when it yeah. comes to discussing finances. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I know we all love our children more than anything, and it's such an important thing to us. But we also, most people I talk to s- seem to realize, how important like money and values and that type of thing is as well. But why do you think so many people kind of dodge the subject or avoid talking about it or don't dive in?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good question. And if I were, again, just my take on that, I think a lot of it comes from insecurities. There seems to be overall, when you look at the educational academic field, there there's not a lot of education Around finances, you know. I remember when I was in middle school—if that tells you anything—or you, they used to call it junior high. Back um, in the seventies, yeah, <laughs> not that old. <laughs> yeah, when when I was in junior high, we we had home economics, right? We had classes that would teach us that. I don't see that in the curriculum anymore. I don't know where schools have gone, and so I think some of the taboo topic and some of the vulnerabilities. Tied to finances is, is directly tied to a lack of understanding and a, a, I think just a, a lack of overall education.
0: Yeah. What do you think is, so if you're growing up in a household like ours where it's really just never brought up, what do you think the effect is or how does that affect your children if that's your household and you're just kind of avoiding the subject?
1: Yeah. If I were to relate it to something else, and you'll notice I do that a lot, I would relate that to the same thing as teaching children about sexual intercourse and that if we avoid those topics, it's not as if children don't go out and experience that. And so I think if we're not educating if we're not talking about money in the household, it's not that children aren't ever going to have money and they're not going to they're not going to use it. They will. And so I think if we're not educating our children that we stand they stand a larger risk of not using it properly or not handling it very well. And I think that's the risk also when you think about teaching children about sexual intercourse. And if we're not teaching them, then they have a larger chance of making a mistake. And so I think the same is true here with finances.
0: Yeah, I think finances even more so are in the day-to-day, I think as a parent, either way you're going to teach your your kids about money, whether you're, I think the question is more of whether or not you're proactive about it, your behaviors, you know, just your day-to-day is going to reflect your view on money and the actions that you take. So I think the trick is getting to to that point of being proactive. So for if you're gonna if you're gonna be proactive though, what does that look like? How do you start? Like what's the direction you take that?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to teach children about money. Because it is universal in so many ways and we use it, like you said, it's a daily practice, right? We're dealing and handling money all the time. And so understanding, I think first understanding the type of learner your child is can be helpful um, because I think there are a lot of different ways that we can teach money. But if you're not certain of that, if your children are young and you're not quite sure how they like to learn, I think offering a lot of different opportunities to learn about money. One of the things that we hear a lot, a term that we hear Is financial literacy, right? And this term stresses the ability to understand what financial jargon is and manage your own personal finances effectively. That's the concept. And so, teaching children basic financial concepts like what interest is, what is it, what is investing, what is a budget, that all of that can be very beneficial. So, I think you can start educating children with very simple concepts, with talking just some terms. But then you can follow that up and you can take it a little further and you can play games, right? There's a lot of games, life, monopoly, money, habitudes. These are games that you can, that strictly deal with the currency and how do we purchase things? and What's that look like and interest and how those concepts play? And then I'd say the last thing, which you really alluded to, which I thought was was brilliant, and I think it's perhaps the most common way we teach is modeling right? Just as you said, allowing your children the privy to 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 how you make decisions on how you spend money, but financial decisions, maybe how you are going to make money or save money. So keying your kids in when you're actually in the process of spending or saving or investing, whatever it is you're doing at home, just to try and further educate that, just be vocal about it.
0: Yeah. You mentioned uh, life, monopoly. What was the third one you mentioned? Money habits, yeah, money habitudes. What's what is that? It's funny.
1: That's a it's a game. That's it's a card game. Actually, you can get on and look at that online. It's like I don't even know twelve or thirteen dollars. It's a deck of cards that essentially you you sort those out, and you can do this individually. You can do it as a couple. You can do it in a group, and based on um, on whether so you're sorting the cards to determine if this card is like you, or if it's not like you, or if sometimes it's like. And in the end, you engage in an assessment and it helps you understand your money personality. And there's five of those personalities. There's how you relate to those who are spending, saving, investing, philanthropy. And then the cards can be used in financial education, literacy. And so they can kind of help you identify what your attitudes and your habits, hence the term money, habitudes, the habits and the attitudes that you formulated throughout life on money.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So I think the big thing, at least for me as a parent, is understanding what's at stake. Sometimes it's easy to get kind of caught up in the day-to-day, but I think money is just one of those big, huge topics. It's kind of an opportunity, but it's also a risk if not addressed properly. But what do you think is at stake here in in being proactive? I think we have, like as parents, an opportunity, really, but it's also something you can drop the ball on too but i think it's helpful for me to really think through like what's the stakes here like why what's the purpose what's the value for my children and that helps me to really kind of get excited about it but what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah it's, it's funny it's something i say a lot is that education's expensive and you're gonna it's gonna cost you either at the registrar's office when you register for classes or it's going to cost you a financial mistake somewhere, right? Financially, it costs you when we make poor choices or when we make uneducated choices. And so I think it comes down to where it can cost you a lot. I think that early on, it doesn't cost much at all. And so I think helping children experience money failures and money mess ups early in life. And I'll give you for instance, I'll tell you a story about my son. He's, he was five years old at the time he had gotten some five dollars from his grandparents for his birthday and he was really excited about spending that five dollars and so he'd asked my wife to take him to where he could spend to the store so he could spend his money and trying to figure out a best place that where this guy would be able to spend five dollars my wife takes him to the dollar tree and they go to the dollar tree and he looking around in their toy section and he falls in love with his little pair of handcuffs and has to have them and So, you know, I think my wife was a little uncertain because she knew something that he was going to soon find out. And so she was a bit hesitant, but said, "Okay, no problem. He bought the handcuffs. He was super excited. He got out to the car and no sooner than, you know, they started to pull out of the parking spot. He got those handcuffs out, stuck the key in, twisted the key, broke inside the handcuffs. Literally, they they broke before he ever got to use them. And, you know, of course, there's tears and gnashing the teeth. He's really upset. And my wife's sitting there brokenhearted because she knew that, David, if I let him spend that money, I knew that he wasn't buying a quality product. And, but her knowing didn't affect him at all. And so that was something that he had to know. And so I think in some ways, this is the benefit. Now that, so on the way home, he says, I'll never buy anything from there again, which is a common, yeah, right. It's a child's response, right? It's like, it's, that's a common, right? Yeah, that's right. It's a common response. But in that though, there was, it was something so true about what he later as kind of the dust cleared and the pain and subsided a bit. And he has gone back many times to the Dollar Tree. What he's learned is that's a great place to buy candy, but it's not a great place to invest in in some toys And so that lesson that he learned at five years old is going to pay such dividends as he gets older that now he's more prone to look at the quality of the product and say, what am I buying? Is that really worth my dollar? And so I think some experiential learning pieces, there's so much learning that gets taken in there. You can tell your children all those things, but until they experience the sting of, man, that was my money. I can't get that money back. You know, that was just Yeah. It was a learning experience. It was in some ways you learn that, Hey, now I understand that the value of a dollar is in some ways. And so I think that when we are not talking about money, when we're not allowing our kids to make those kind of financial mistakes early on, I think you are talking about the benefits or what we're missing out on. I think that can be compounded in so many ways. If we don't have that understanding when we, you know, college, I know for me personally, there were several friends of mine that, When we started going to college, that's when credit cards started. They started, you could get a credit card for, you know, you'd go sign up for a credit card for a free t shirt, right? Or a towel or something they were giving away. And I saw so many students using those credit cards irresponsibly, not really understanding about interest and how that works and paying things, not spending money you don't have. And I watched a lot of people financially sink themselves at a prime time where they could have been really gaining in life. And I think, so I think in some ways, that's what we're talking about. Those are the types, the benefits or not, it's hard to tell you exactly the way we'll benefit, but I think just having those lessons learned is, is extremely beneficial before you get of age where you can start making big financial disasters or mistakes.
0: Right. So our audience, a lot of our audience is in medicine and the career track is very rigorous focused, lots of time committed to a very specific specialty that's beneficial and obviously gaining knowledge. But the challenge with that is you're not going to be exposed to as many outside areas like personal finance. So I've found that there's sometimes a little bit of a hesitancy when there's lacking personal finance knowledge of the parents themselves, or maybe even they feel they don't feel as confident because of some failures they've made. Or what are your thoughts on that? Like when the parents are kind of either not as confident themselves or have had some issues themselves and reflecting that or translating that to your children?
1: Yeah, I would say in some ways it goes back to where we started in that story you told about your parents not talking about money. You know, I think the the key here is just to be honest. Whether we have experience or we have knowledge, honesty is such a critical point when we convey information to anyone but specifically to our children. You know, my mother never learned how to swim, and as a child she said, that's detrimental to my children if you guys don't know how to swim. So the fact that she didn't know how didn't stop her from taking us to swim lessons because she knew that there could very well be a part in our life where not knowing how to swim could be the difference between life and death. And while that sounds dramatic, I want to just make the point that it was she didn't know how to swim. And so that didn't keep us. And so the same thing is like, just because I may not know how to manage money really well, or I don't have any personal success in managing my money well, maybe what I have is a a lot of understanding of what doesn't work. And I think it's important to understand that sharing what little information we know, whether that's this is how to do things or, hey, these are steps that you want to avoid. I think a lot of times telling our children what to avoid can be equally, if not more important at times than what to do with money. And so teach what you know. And then find other ways or provide additional resources. And some of that can be as easy as speaking with someone who you know in your community or someone that maybe is at your church or even going to your local bank where you have an account and having your children open up an account and speak with the representative and even talking to the banker beforehand and saying, hey, I don't have a lot of experience with this. What are some resources? And I think what any parent would find would be a lot of resources within their community. I'll point to extension. We are a big part of that. we have financial educators in every one in 120 counties of Kentucky and, in our extension office. And we provide free educational information, workshops on anything from, you know, how to open a bank account, how to shop on a really small budget to the state planning. So we do provide those sorts of resources. I think looking for what resources, if you don't feel like you have them, I would say, first, you do have them. Second of all, if you really feel that uncomfortable about it, then there are a lot of resources around you that you can use to help your children.
0: Yeah, that kind of gets into what I was going to ask you about, as well as the time thing. I think a lot of those in medicine, and I guess our culture in general, is we have no time, everybody's so busy. So that can spill over into something like this it's very easy to be like i don't have the time to dig in and uh learn what i need to learn or even spend the time having the conversations and that sort of thing so what are your thoughts on that if i'm feeling like i'm not having the time
1: i I, in some ways i think that question stems from the conceptual from conceptualizing education as like a curriculum or a finance or education is like a curriculum, and the difficulty with that approach is that curriculum is typically made up of lessons with definitive start and stop points. But teaching our children about finance, financial principles, and the value of the dollar seems much more fluid than that. Seems much like it's not just one conversation. It's just it's not just one module, so to speak. But it, it we're teaching your you're teaching your children all the time, whether you're aware of it or not. You're teaching your child about money every day. Yeah. Every time you stop at the gas station and you go in and come out with a drink and a snack, you're teaching your kids. You know, every time you 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 go to the grocery store, anytime your child wants something and you jump on Amazon and snatch it up. I mean there there's so many things we're teaching our kids all the time, but I would I would press on those parents to say, I I think what you're looking for is that you're wanting to make additional time, but the thing is you're already teaching them. Just be aware of what of what it is you are teaching them. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So it's more like awareness. Like I'm opening my credit card statement. I'm, you know, criticizing my spouse about specific transactions and the kids can hear. I'm just not aware of it or not thinking about it. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. And coming home with something new or just having that conversation about, yeah, what's the next thing you want to do? How do you want to, you know, we have conversation, financial conversations, my wife and I, and you know, true. Honestly, we don't, you we typically try to be away from the kids. So we're not distracted in that, but understanding we do have those conversations about how we're going to spend money and what we want to do with our money. And you know, what, where, where do we want, we've got this much money. Where do you think is the best way to spend it? And I think involving children in that and at least allowing them, depending on the age they are, you know, I think that's a part of it. Just letting them hear you have those conversations. I think, leads to bigger conversations as they develop.
0: Yeah. So you, you mentioned kind of depending on age, I'm curious, when do you think developmentally is an appropriate age to start kind of pro- proactively bringing this type thing up?
1: I mean, we started with my children at five years of age, they opened bank accounts and we went to the bank and they met the they met the bank teller. They each have their account. When they say, when they have money, we, you know, we start talking about chores and what that looks like. We don't do allowance in my house right now. My children, just for the listeners, I've got a nine-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son. So they're young, they're very young, but my daughter knows about chores. You know, she's getting to the point to where she wants to buy something. I told you my five-year-old son, we let him kind of make that that, miss, that financial, and I wouldn't even call it a mistake. We allowed him to learn, again, that financial education there. It taught him something with the way he used his money. But now my daughter, even at nine years old, she says, dad, Hey, she came to me the other day and said, I want a new acrylic paint set. And so we were looking at acrylic paint sets. And so she looked up online. She told me how much it was. She identified the one she wanted. She looked to see how many reviews there were on it. so she was able to tell if it was a worthy product again, just talking about how good this thing is. And then she said, Hey, what chores can I do in order to earn this money? And so we talk about that, so all of those things that I'm just discussing now are all part of that education process, and so at what time I think the sooner the better? If I were to say that to any, I would say start now and just try developmentally to be as slow as, as developmentally appropriate as you can, and you can look those things up as to far as what they are you know I mean children aren't doing a lot of math at five and six and Seven years old, they might be to understand some of that addition and subtraction. And so those things can kind of be easy, but, you know, teaching them compound interest might not do well. <laughs> but I think small, you know, take it small. And I think we can make these as simple as are developmentally appropriate.
0: Yeah, I brought it up with my middle son, <clears throat> excuse me, Henry. And he basically was not ready. It was very obvious, but it, it doesn't hurt to try it out, I think.
1: Yeah. And I, and that's why I think it's, we, that's why I don't want people to look at it as like a curriculum. You know, these are conversations. It's very fluid. It's every day. And, you know, they'll let you know, I think a lot of times they'll let you know when they're ready. Most of the time, it's just, we allow them to know that they've got certain things that they want are going to be things that they're going to have to buy their, on their own and there's a way for them to earn money.
0: What do you think about like so allowances, chores, incentives? you mentioned you do you have chores and allowances, but what what are your thoughts on like navigating all that because I think there's a pretty wide range of opinions? there
1: are, and I am of the mind that if it for me and my household, what I don't want to do, I don't want to pay my children to do the things that are required of a, of families, right? Like no one pays me to clean the house around or to pick up after myself or to wash my clothes. And so I'm not going to do that for my children. If they want so they have chores in the house and those are things that I think bind the family unit together is to say, "Hey, listen, we all help out around here. This is our house and we all help out." And so we're going to clean our rooms and we're going to you know, you're going to help feed the dog because that needs to happen, and we're going to do these. We're going to we're going to you know, do laundry and all of the things, clean our bathrooms. We're going to do the things that we have to do as a family. Now, if you want to go above and beyond that and you want to earn money, sure, we'll let you. You can wash my car, you can cut the grass, you can do other. And maybe children, if you if a teen, if we have a parent of a teen, they're like, oh wait a minute, my son cuts the grass just because that's his chore. That's completely fine what I would suggest is that there be core chores that they do that, that every child has to do just because we all have to feel that it, there's a lot of science that shows that it, it strengthens the unit. It makes the people feel a part of something. So everybody has it. But if we begin paying our children to do chores that, um, that are required as the family unit, then they lose interest very quickly in that. And so they have a failure to understand that value of a dollar. And so what we want to do is make, anything that we're going to pay our children be above and beyond because we want to teach them the same similar principles of earning money as going to work. And some of those things that we do in work, and I think we'll all admit are not the things that we enjoy. And so having something that's just not quite enjoyable, that is another thing to do. That's a good thing for people for children to understand is going to be a part of life from now on, you know?
0: Yeah. So another area is, I guess a lot of people, will incentivize children through either like achievement or hitting certain benchmarks or whatnot. But I remember when this was actually the first soccer team Noah was on, it was kind of an interesting story of one of the kids that was on the team. He was the smallest kid did not really even participate. This is when they were five years old. So there's fair share of those types that are, they're just not really into it. And the whole season, nothing. He would just kind of meander around on the field when we were playing, even in the games. The last game of the season, his granddad, I think $1 or $5 offered him $1 or $5 per goal or something along those lines. And the kid just blew up. Like yeah. <laughs> He had several goals. We were amazed. It was the craziest turnaround I've ever seen. It just sticks in my head as one of the most concrete in- incentive actions that I saw work just real time. But in that instance, it worked really well in the moment. But I'm just curious about your take on that as a kind of a bigger picture, long term parenting move. Do you think that's a good thing to do? or
1: Well, and I, I appreciate that. So we're, it sounds like we're talking a lot about intrinsic and extrinsic motivators. And I think what Obviously, it worked in this situation. And so for me to say, no, that's a that's not a good thing. What I would caution parents on is the sustainability of their actions and thinking about that. Um, my wife and I had two very different upbringings, and I think her parents were able to offer some monetary incentive. Right. This idea of extrinsic motivators that are like, hey, if for every A, you bring home, you'll get X X amount of dollars for whatever. And I think some people work well with that. I think the problem with that, though, is, again, sustainability. Can we sustain that? And then what is the real motivator? You know, there are some things in life where we really want to find out if a child likes it or not for us to. You know, for me, when it comes to sporting or something like that, I don't want my child to feel like they have to go and play something. If they don't want to play that, then that's fine. There are some values in the teamwork and in, in being a part of a team. those are important values to talk about. So I would I think in doing my best to dance around this without answering, I would say that a lot of it is really just looking at the sustainability. I personally, I don't think paying children for participation is the best way to motivate. And that's certainly not the most sustainable. Yeah. I mean, again, I see it happen a lot. There are a lot of children that grow up that don't have that opportunity and they do just fine. So I don't know. I would say there's probably a, a more deep seated issue of why a child's not doing well in that they can just turn around with some money, but who knows? I mean, if in some ways I think it works, I just think that you'd have a hard time sustaining it.
0: Yeah. So what about so if maybe for as children get a little bit older, but they're going to hit hurdles, mess things up, lose money, wreck cars, that that sort of stuff. So what are your thoughts on those blow ups or failures or, you know, I guess, bailing your kids out versus really letting them hit the brick wall and pull things back together themselves? Yeah, I am. A
1: you probably know me well enough to know that I'm much more of a, that you are going to have to figure this thing out and really allowing our children to make the mistakes and to get along. And I think Lev Vygotsky is, he looked at a lot of children and looked at the developmental methods and how children learn. And he, he key termed the, the zone of proximal development and there's a sweet spot, so to speak of where children really hit their max potential and where their learning really elevates. And that's right where the challenge is high, but not too much. You can't crush them with something that they can't do and you can't make it too easy to where they lose interest. And so having that zone of proximal development is kind of that sweet spot. And that is awful, often done through scaffolding. And scaffolding is just another word of really supporting uh, a child. So I think and when children mess up, when? Because they will. And as we had to let our son make some of those mistakes, parents, i want to say this loud and clear. We have got to let our children mess up. And the easier, the, the best time to do that is when they're young, when the consequences aren't as high. As you get older, it's harder to learn those lessons because um it's, it's much more costly. And sometimes it, we can make mistakes that are extremely detrimental and, 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 us, and put us in, in legal and law enforcement issues. And so I think having those mistakes early in life are key. And so allowing our children to mess up and when they do, providing them enough support that they can get them, they can find themselves out. And I'll give you a, a small picture of what that might look like. You know, if a child comes to me and I don't want them spill milk in the living room and they took a cup of milk in the living room and they spilt it. I can yell at my child and be upset with them. And that, and then they embarrass, right? And then they're like, okay, I'm never going to, uh, what do they teach him? It didn't teach him that he shouldn't take milk into the living room. He just says that I don't ever want to mess up in front of dad. So I'm going to hide my mess ups in front of dad because he blows up. If I gave my child milk and he went and spilled it and I said, oh, baby, gosh, I can't believe I look what mom did. Look what daddy did. I gave you that slippery cup. I couldn't believe I did that here. Let me get you another one. I'll clean this mess up. What I'm teaching that child there is that nothing is their fault, right? That that when they mess up, it's somebody else's fault. You know, that child. So they're the ones that say, oh, I couldn't take the test. Well, because somebody was tapping their pencil or because the teacher didn't tell me what I should have studied for whatever. Right. They kind of grow up making these excuses. Or the third time is they spill and they make a mess in the living room. And I say, oh, man, you made quite a mess in the living room. What do you think we should do about it? And they say, well, I don't know. I say, well, maybe we should clean that up. What do you think? Like, yeah, okay, let's do that. Well, what do we need to clean up? And let them start problem solving through that piece of like, well, I need to get a rag. I need to get this. And we clean it up together. And then next time you say, what do you think, you know, what do you think can keep us from having that happen again? Well, they might come up with their own that maybe I just don't drink coffee or I, I don't drink milk in the living room. Or maybe they say, gosh, we should put a lid on it or we could help them with that. and say, yeah, hey, next time, just put a lid on that. And that way, you if you do spill it, if you do drop it, it won't spill. And so we're teaching our kids. We're not going to berate them. We're not going to undermine. We're not going to clear it all up. But we're teaching them through that scaffolding approach, through that. I'm leading you into the right direction. And so I think when those mistakes happen, regardless of where they are in life, hopefully earlier than later, that we do that as a parent, we don't just take it away. We don't just say, oh, we'll get you a new car. You know, say, man, that's a bummer. How do you think we're going to get this thing fixed? Right? If they wreck their vehicle, you're like, wow, what are we going to do about that? And you let them figure it out and say, I'm here to support you, man. If you got to get to an obligation, I can take you there. But until you get your car fixed, man, you're on your own, you know? So I think there are ways to handle that.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like ownership and really giving them the opportunity to problem solve. There's a lot of applications outside of just the, in the moment that apply to that type, type of situation.
1: Absolutely. And it's a developmental model, you know, I mean, you, you try to develop as they develop to how much support we give in, in, and where, but I think that provides the best in the future. I think that helps them the most. Sure.
0: Yeah. What about as they get older? Do you kind of I once heard a guy talk about parenting and when they're young, you close the fist real tight and kind of exert more influence and direction. And then as they get older, open your fist slowly and let them fail more and own more and that sort of thing. What are your thoughts on like aging and that, that idea?
1: And I think it makes perfect sense. I think it goes along with what I'm saying too. There are certain mistakes that we don't want our children to make. Ever because they could be detrimental. Right. We don't want car accidents. We don't want, you know, running in the street, that sort of thing. And so there are times where we just have to tighten that down and try to prevent our children from that. Right. But as they get older, I think it's exactly right. Right. We allow them to make more mistakes. And I think in some ways those are calculated. Right, you know, my son wants to ride a ride his bike without his helmet. You know, and it's like, well, that, I don't know. I don't know if that's good right now. I'm not going to let you do that because I don't think you're that good on your bike yet. You know, yeah. like that. You just wait till you get a little stronger on your bike, and then maybe you can make that too. But of course, there are other things that go into a decision, like
0: that. yeah. So a lot of this is you know kind of bigger picture ideas, behaviors, and that sort of thing. And what I sometimes have trouble with is how do we actually start to execute on this sort of thing? So if we start kind of going down that road, like what's a good way to really kind of mark a stake in the ground and start making some progress on this? What's kind of a pr- proactive or a practical kind of a way to, to start making good positive direction here?
1: Yeah, I think a good way to start is if, again, regardless of the age of your child, for them to have a bank account would be really important, right? For them to be able to start talking about How much money they have and savings and spending. Those are really important. I think we got to start small and then work our way up. And I think it's just going to depend on where your child is and the age they are and what their wants and needs are at the time and allow them, begin allowing them. You know, if they don't have money, then maybe we begin by saying, what are ways that you can get money? And we talk about it as generating. How are we going to generate revenue, right? Like, how are we going to get some income here? And so thinking about that, begin, and that's a great education, uh, educator because it teaches them how much you've got to work in order to get a dollar. The value of that. You know, if you do, I talked about my daughter. She's nine. She was going to wash my, I said, yes, you can wash my vehicle. I'll pay you $2. And you know, to, to hit some listeners, they're like $2. This guy is super cheap, cheapskate. But I want to go back and apply what we just talked about, this developmental met- model. My daughter's nine years old. She's never washed a car before. And I've got a large SUV. She can't reach half of my vehicle. <laughs> she can reach from about the window down, you know. So I'm only going to get a half a wash to begin with. Like, Could I pay her the $20 or $30 to wash my car? Sure, I could. But that would be silly on my part and silly on hers because she would say, wow, I can get everything I want in one hour by washing dad's car and I'm going to do a hack job at that. To her, she felt really good. The thing is, $2 was developmentally appropriate for several reasons. One, because the item she wanted to purchase was $21. So I'm getting her, I'm inching her towards her goal. I'm letting her realize that there's going to be multiple times where you're going to have to do something in order to gain money. So this isn't going to be a quick, I'm going to go in and out. You're going to have to work hard about it. So you're going to think really hard about, is this something I really want? And then when I pay her to do the work she's going to do, I'm going to pay her at the level of what I expect that work to be, at the level of how well I want that job done. So I, when she was done, you could see dirt all over my vehicle, right? She could not wash the windshield but to her, she was happy. And I asked her, I said, how do you feel about this wash? She was like, Dad, I think I did a good job. And I walked around it and I said, "Eve, this is the best $2 car wash I've ever gotten. And I gave her $2. The thing was, my expectation was low. I knew that she wasn't going to be able to produce, but I was willing to, produce, to give her the $2 that she was going to really be able to do. And so I paid her for the work that she did. And she was happy about the work that she did. And she was happy about the $2. And then she went on to ask, well, what other chores can I do? And so we started to line those up. And so I think the practical way is we just start small. We start where our children are. We don't overpay. We don't give them too much. Because I think, again, by giving them a lot, if we're going to give allowances – that's completely fine. I know several families that do that. They're wonderful. Their children are wonderful people. If you're wanting to do that would be up to you and your family and how you all want to deal your finances. Depending on how those allowances are given, maybe some simple things to think about is well so if I'm going to pay my child a if I'm going to give them money, then there needs to be certain things that they need to use that money for. And so maybe we begin to put parameters around what that money is going to be spent on and how that money gets spent and when maybe when they can spend it. So they're again, you're teaching them that as I gain money, there are multiple things that I need to look at. And so understanding the value of a dollar, saving, and then making a purchase, those can all be things that we can teach our children. Right now, we can begin those principles.
0: Yeah. So it's like getting them a means to have money coming in is definitely a good step. And then maybe thinking about creating a bank account for them as a place to, you know, a piggy bank, essentially. I like what you said about the bank account. I have noticed a lot of people that we work with just create the account for the kids and don't really tell them about it. Whereas you said you went, had them go to the bank with you and meet with the banker and go through the experience themselves. And they probably know about it.
1: That's it. And they met the day and they got their own little card. And you know, it's funny though, is Daniel the way that I, the way that we went in there is they had taken all their contents out of their piggy bank. So they both went in with these big bags of change, right? Because it was literally and they did the little money counter. I mean, we were an absolute sight, you know. I mean it was a but it was a Saturday morning. We woke up early. We got out, you know, we, this was, we had planned it throughout the week and we had let them know this was going to be a big event. Like, Hey guys, you get to open your own bank account, you know? And so even now when they earn money, they tell me, Hey dad, will you put this, will you put this in the safe? And they say so they each have an envelope and we put their money in and then they acc- accumulate enough money. We'll go and make those deposits or they will go. Well, we will take them, but they go and they make their deposits. They go inside, they meet with the same woman, they give them the money. They get a receipt from that. They get to see how much money is in their account. That's big stuff for them. You know? And so I think, I think the earlier you start that process, the better off they are at understanding where their money is and where it goes. And it can be really exciting.
0: Yeah. And then as they get older, you introduce maybe investments or compound interest and have them open up their own account there or even even debt, right? I mean, you could throw out because, you know, that's one of the things we entered our age group. We got into college and all of a sudden there's all these people selling credit cards, never had heard of a credit card or whatever.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden everybody's, you know, getting pizza and beer with their credit cards, and you know, next thing you know, they got ten thousand dollars worth of debt, and that's not an exaggeration at all. I'm, I'm thinking of someone in mind, I won't mention yeah. them, but a good friend of mine literally had over ten thousand dollars worth of debt when he left college. He had a good um, they, time too. Yeah, on a credit card, you know, and right. you're like, wow, that might not have been the best way to to make to, to you know, best way to spend my money.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a.
1: And so, yeah, I think being able to teach kids those principles are really good. You know, I mean, making children pay for things they break in the home can be, again, really valuable. It's not easy to do. And I think that's something to mention too, Daniel is that I realize how easy it is to say, teach your children these things, let them go and mess up. It is a very difficult process for a parent to allow their child willingly to allow their child to mess up. There's something about it innately that we want to protect children. You know, That's those are my children. I'm going to protect them. I don't want any harm to befall them. But in, this is I think and I think what happens is parents become helicopter parents in that way and they're trying to protect all the time. But what they do, Eric Erickson says at every developmental stage in order to advance, there has to be a challenge. There's got to be a mess up. At, in order for that child to, to make it to the next stage. And so if we're failing to allow our children to be challenged, they don't, devel- they don't develop. And so that's the piece that becomes the point for us is that if we really want our children to be successful, productive members of society, we have got to allow them the opportunity to make mistakes, to mess up, to learn from those mistakes. And I think that's the most important thing is not just to make them, but to learn from them and be able to figure out, again, problem solve, as we've already mentioned. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's interesting. We do a survey for any potential clients we're talking to before we talk with them. And one of the questions is tell us about a financial failure that you've made in the past and how that played out. And the most common answer is I've never made any financial mistakes, uh, which is interesting to me because, well, first of all, if you're old enough, I guess that's not possible, right? So I think a lot <laughs> somebody's of somebody's lying, <laughs> or you're lying. So, yeah. but uh, I think a, a lot of people that are younger th- are the ones that w- we're talking to, and I think that they have just not really had much experience delved out to them in the, their upbringing. They've not been in an environment to be able to make those mistakes yet, because that's the age group of the people that we're talking to. It's out of training type set up so it's just interesting to me to see that and i think that's kind of a reflection of the upbringing that a lot of people have had Mm -hmm. but like those failures are at least for me that's how i've learned most a lot of the big lessons i mean we prefer not to fail it's much much more pleasant to learn through education and experience and other people's failures would be preferred but Telling yourself will always teach you.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you'll you'll never forget that. You know, and in some ways, that's that's the beauty of it, right? That's the cost of education. Is that financial? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh man, that that did cost me some money to
0: learn that. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree with you.
0: So, as we wrap up, do you have any suggestions for either books or content if, if people want to dig into this type of subject or just parenting in general? Do you have any suggestions? or resources, or blogs, or that, that type of thing that you would recommend?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the first thing I will do is just, again, offer that University of Kentucky's extension office. We've got an extension office in every county in the state that, again, offers free education, free information, and webinars, and pamphlets. I mean, it's amazing. If you haven't been to your extension, your local extension office, do yourself a favor, take your children, and go to the extension office. They've got all kinds of fun things. You can also go online if you want and visit and identify what extension office is in your county. And you can do that through extension. Do, do, EXT. do most states have that? Yes, yes. So every land grant, again, so as the federal, the U.S. Senate, I guess said that every, or Congress rather, put into law that every state, every land-granted university has an extension arm. Now, I'll brag on Kentucky because, we are the and um, we really are one of the best extension states in the country we're the second largest to to Texas and if you look at the land mass you can understand Texas is going to be a little larger than ours but we are certainly the model extension unit not every state has extension offices in every county but we do and so that it's a real it's a real perk and benefit to folks living here in Kentucky so for sure you should, and that's extent, you can go to the website, extension.ca.uky.edu. That's no HTTP in front of that. That's no www, just put in extension.ca.uky.edu and you'll find out what county. You can get your county and they'll take you right to their webpage. You can see all the different programs that they're running, all the education that they have to offer. And for certain, every extension office has financial curriculum that they can offer. So that would be one thing to do. Are you still with me? Yeah, you can. Okay. Yeah, sorry. If you have other, feel free to. No, I was just going to, I was just going to say financial counselors would be somebody that can help you learn. If you have some financial behaviors or are curious about your own attitudes, that might be a good way of understanding it to seek out some financial counseling, a lot of webinars and trainings yeah, that what are did- offered.
0: What is a financial counselor exactly for, I'm sure you know exactly what it is. I'm just, it's kind of a, not as common. Financial counselors,
1: they work more with people based on their behaviors with money. And they look more about trying to help proactively, like maybe how to set up ways to handle their money, but more so dealing with maybe attitudes that are connected to our Spending habits or saving habits, so it can give you a lot. It can give you; they can help you understand a little bit more about what your habits and attitudes towards spending are and towards saving. So they're a great person, and to change any behaviors that you might have or um, that you may have adopted over time that you may like or not like, they can help you understand those, change those. And I'm sure there's much more that they can do depending on who you work with. You know, counselors are kind of like that. So,
0: so it's a. Focused on
1: money behaviors. And then that was, you know, that would be it. Just can, there's a extension offers a lot. There's a lot of going to your local banks. I think and talking to your resident experts, so to speak. I mentioned some games that were, that are fun. And then I think the last thing is just reinforcing, just being honest about your own mistakes and about the way you do things and trying to share those with your children.
0: Awesome. Well, David, I really appreciate you sitting down with me and talking parenting and money. And it's just, Good stuff man. I just really appreciate you taking the time and this is always good to talk. It's always good to talk to you. I'm always happy to do it and I'd love to come back anytime you'd have me. Awesome. Thanks buddy. Thanks here. If you're ready to start boosting your earning power with Locums, head over to weatherbyhealthcare.com/payday to learn more.